When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Halfway home. Nothing personal. Word of the day is halfway home. We are halfway through the Major League Baseball season. And I want to talk about a few things that have gone on in the first half as we head to the All-Star game tomorrow. I wonder which players are going to actually show up to the All-Star game. I thought that would be in the collective bargaining agreement where players would be forced to play. I'm sure you've been reading the dance of this player can't go because he's hurt. That player can't go because he's got plans. This player's replacing this player. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. 50 grand bonus for you. 50 grand bonus for you. You are now an all-star. What about having an all-star from every team? What's up with that? I used to love that, though, because I knew the Marlins would have an all-star even if they didn't deserve it. I remember watching NBA all-star games as a kid, and I loved seeing a Nick on an all-star game, on an all-star roster. When they weren't, when there were no Knicks, it was always very upsetting to me. And I would always love baseball for having an all-star for every team. And then you start running a team and you have all these bonuses and contracts which call for these twenty-five dollars or $50,000 for all-star. And you have to say election or selection. Election obviously is fan vote or what counts as a fan vote these days where you have to vote three different times and there's finalists and then big announcements as Major League Baseball tries to be as exciting as the NBA All-Star team with the draft. That'd be cool if it weren't American League nationally. That's what we should do, is we should have the top vote-getter, which was Aaron Judge and Acuna, Ronald Acuna, and they should do something with Ernie Johnson and Charles Barkley, or maybe it should be Bob Costas and Carl Ravitch or something, and they, they start drafting people. And then they draft people who they want to have on their team the next year, so they don't want to upset anyone, and then you just play the game. What about this time it counts? How come no one liked that? When that was done in baseball, we, I love that. That was cool. We're the winner of the All-Star game. That's the league that gets to host the World Series or get the home field advantage. The number one seed always got upset if their team lost the All-Star game. Oh, by the way, players didn't give a flying rat's tuchus about winning the All-Star game and having the home field for their league. They just didn't care about it. We could do a whole show on All-Star Game memories. So many great memories. I was just off the top of my head, top five All-Star Game memories. One has to be 2016 with Giancarlo Stanton winning the Home Run Derby and traveling to the game with all of our All-Stars that year. That season, we had Fernando Rodney, we had Ozuna, we had Stanton, we had A.J. Ramos. That was good when he won the Derby. That was cool. 2017 All-Star Game, hosting it in Miami was amazing, but there was way too much work to be done. I could not enjoy that as much. Dan Ugla, all those errors in the Mets All-Star Game, that was a good memory. That's got to be in the top five for sure. 
Anyway, so I want to talk about the American League. I want to recap the first half, tell you what I think is going to happen in the second half, see if any of the preseason predictions may have changed. So I want to go through some surprises. I, I hesitated to do this. We wanted to get some shows in the feed while I'm away. And we did a bunch of mailbags and thank you for listening to them and following and all the stuff that you're doing to support Nothing Personal. And Coco wanted to make sure that we did some sort of recap of the first half. But when you run a team, what you're doing around the All-Star break is you are beginning to focus on where your team is. You're thinking about what are the chances can you buck the odds? Can you ignore the stat cast predictions of your percentage chance to make the playoffs? What type of schedule do you have after the All-Star break? I used to do a schedule cheat sheet that I would go over with the manager and with the GM because they wouldn't do this, but I would, where I'd go through our schedule in the second half and I would say, here's what we need to do in each series in order to finish in a wild card spot. And I would ask the GM, how many wins is it going to take? And he'd say, well, we got to get to 88. All right, here's our path to 88. We have to sweep this series, win two out of three this series. We can lose two out of three there, but then we have to win three out of four on that four-game series. So we'd go through it all, and we would call it program wins. A program win is when you're supposed to win as part of your program, and you get that win, and then you keep track of are you plus one, plus two, minus one, minus two. And the best thing about making a program of what you have to do to make the playoffs when you're David Sampson is you, instead of acknowledging that you're not good enough to keep up with the program, when you start to get to a minus four, it's sort of like card counting in blackjack when you're counting pluses and minuses. When it's a minus four count, that meant one thing. It doesn't mean that you're not going to make the playoffs because I loved living in my delusion. What it meant was it's time for a new program. And that's what I would do. I would come up with a brand new program. And then we get to be at zero again. That's the beautiful thing about starting over. And then you realize, all right, here's all we have to do. This was the other thing. This is, oh my God, the memories are flooding in. If we were eight games behind the first place team, languishing in fourth place, and we had 11 games left against the first place team, I would say, my God, if we go 10 and one, we're a game up. We can still win the division. We're mathematically still in it. Of course, then when you don't win 10 out of 11, you have to do a new program to win the division, forget being a wild card. And the only time that you don't do a new program is when you've been eliminated. And we were lucky over the years. I mean, 2013, we lost 100 games, so we were eliminated right around March 15th. But other years, we felt like we were one winning streak away. It's so great to be that way, just optimistic and positive. And then, of course, reality sets in. So All-Star break is when reality is supposed to set in. And we call it first half, second half, but I don't like that, actually. Because half is 81, isn't it? And the teams have all played more than 81 games. So it's really not. The second half is always shorter than the first half. So therefore, it's totally mislabeled. So we're not going to call this the first half recap. We're going to call it the ASG recap. This is the all, no, it should be ASB, Coca. Okay, ready? 12, 82, 69. We're going to call it the ASB recap. The all-star break recap. 
All right, let's talk about some surprises that are going on in the American League right now. Things that just make you say, wow, is this happening? Let's talk about the Cleveland Guardians. The Cleveland Guardians are a team where when the season started, they were being talked about having a very low payroll. There was a sale that was going on. Remember, David Blitzer bought the team. They traded away Francisco Lindor. They had Jose Ramirez signed to a long-term contract who's an MVP candidate, had an unbelievable first, what are we going to call it? We can't call it first half. Had an unbelievable pre-ASB. I guess we'll do pre-ASB and post-ASB. So the Guardians have been, to me, one of the top surprises because the National League Central, excuse me, ugh, two, six, nine. The American League Central is so problematic. That's the division that I told you was it didn't even need to play. The Chicago White Sox were going to win that division, and that division was going to be decided. When did we say it was going to be decided? I think somewhere around April 15th. And we thought the White Sox would have to spend like a lot of the season getting ready for October, and then they were going to get upset in the playoffs because when you're not playing games that matter for so many months, you're not sharp and you're going to lose in the playoffs. That is a well-established principle. But for whatever reason, the White Sox, who are another one of the unbelievable disappointments, which we'll get to next, but the Guardians have made a division out of this. And they're competing with the Minnesota Twins, who are neither a surprise nor a disappointment with the way they augmented their rotation with those preseason trades. But I just, I'm so impressed with the Guardians. 27th in team payroll, which really pisses off a lot of people, right? Because it goes against the whole argument. You've got to increase your payroll. The union gets very upset with teams like the Rays, and the Guardians are not like the Rays, but they have a front office that's maybe the second smartest front office in all of baseball. And the fact of the matter is they are in a position where they can prove to a lot of people that you don't need to spend sums of money. If you can be 27th in payroll and be in the wild card discussion and compete for your division, even though it's the AL Central and you're just competing not to win a World Series, but just to win a division, which would be cool, do you know the Marlins have never won a division in their whole history? Never hit for a cycle and never won a division. So the Guardians are a surprise. How about the best team in baseball? Is that a surprise? To me, it is. The Houston Astros. <gasps> Everyone relax. Everybody breathe. All of you New Yorkers out there, breathe. The Houston Astros may be the best team in the American League. The Yankees have the best record. As far as you know, as far as I know, as far as we're going to say from not Africa where I'm recording this. But the reality is the Astros have a team that the Yankees do not want to face in the playoffs. Probably people in New York can't name their rotation. My guess is you can't figure out who their closer is. It's Paul Pressy. I know it's not Paul Pressy. That's anybody from Milwaukee out there? Anybody? Paul Pressy, former Milwaukee Buck. Anyway, Ryan Presley. George Springer, a Blue Jay. Carlos Correa, a twin. They kept Bregman. They kept Altuve. They have Jordan Alvarez, who really could be the MVP in the American League, although I'm going to get to that in a minute. But the Houston Astros have a chance to do something that is remarkable. They want to erase history. Most teams want to build on history. That's the whole point of what you're doing. You take your lot in life. You take your lot in sports, and you use it sort of as, as your ground layer, and then you build and build and build championship upon championship or playoff appearance upon playoff appearance or being the farm system for other clubs. Whatever it is that you do, you try to build upon that and make that your thing. 
The Astros are trying to erase 2017, and to do it, they've got to win another one, and they have not been able to. This could be the year. The reason they're a surprise is when you can cycle players out. We had a thing in the minor leagues and in the big leagues. We wanted to cycle through one performing big leaguer every season. If you can have a pipeline that produces that, you are going to be a very, very successful team with a low payroll. The Astros don't have a low payroll, and they're still cycling in minor league players like Pena, who's really could be rookie of the year if not for Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners. So I have the Astros as a surprise. Now I want to talk about the Yankees a little bit because I, I, I've told you and I stand by it. I do not believe, no matter what their numbers say, I do not believe that they are going to be able to win a World Series. I do not believe their rotation is such. They need to acquire another arm at least. I still think they need to acquire a bullpen arm. They've got a very expensive middle relief person in Aroldis Chapman who has lost his closer's job to one of the surprises of the first half, a guy named Clay John Holmes. You can't get a hit off him. You can't get a disease off him. You can't get anything. He's throwing bullets. I think that's enough of the Holmes jokes. If you don't know who Clay Holmes is, go watch him. Because the thing about bullpen arms, and we try to tell this to our fans, and we used to do this. We used to cycle through a new closer every year, whether it was Joe Borowski or Armando Benitez, Leo Nunez, or formerly known as Leo Nunez, Jose, what is his name again? Jose Oviato, I think, was his actual name. He used to be Leo Nunez, except that was his best friend who didn't play baseball. And then we decided we'd sign a closer to a long-term deal, and that was the beginning of the end for the Marlins. The best teams are able to have bullpen arms that you've never heard of that go up there and get people out. Just go look at the Rays if you want to take a look. And there's a good lesson there. It's not always the names that get the job done. What you're looking for as an executive is the results. You're looking for the quality of the arm, the pitches, the command, the velocity, the rubber arm part of a bullpen, arm where you can just put them out there on consecutive days, four out of five, five out of eight, and they will be effective for an inning every time. Go look at Clay Holmes. And my last surprise has to be Aaron Judge. It takes a lot to overperform in a contract year. Adrian Beltre used to be the best at that when he was going for new contracts. He'd always have great years. Now he's a Hall of Famer, but if you look, he had really good platform years. A platform year is a year that you use like a diving board platform that you are using to jump to another level. When you are about to be arbitration eligible for the first time, that's a platform year, your pre-arbitration year. When you're about to be a free agent, that's another platform year where you're jumping into free agency. When you're done with the free agency contract and you're looking for another, that is a platform year. The pressure on a player to perform in a platform year is staggering. And in baseball, you can have really, really good players who just have not been able to get it done in platform years. Aaron Judge is the opposite. Aaron Judge told the Yankees to bugger off, and guess what? He's made himself money by that decision because there's going to be someone out there who's going to pay more than what the Yankees' last offer was. Aaron Judge with the balls that are used. This is a breaking news story. Don't tell anyone. I found out from my sources within Major League Baseball. Shh. Major League Baseball, when Aaron Judge bats, they give the pitcher different balls that are juiced. And then once Aaron Judge is done, they take the balls away and they go back to the dead balls. 
Now, they don't want you to know that because they want Aaron Judge to surpass Roger Maris and surpass Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds. So he has his own special judge balls. So if you catch an Aaron Judge home run, take a look at it, and you'll notice it's totally different than when you get a different ball. Shh, don't tell anyone. It's totally crazy. But Aaron Judge, he's gonna, he could get 60 home runs. He could do it. He's got to be a surprise. The whole thing about lists, you have to do surprises. Therefore, you have to do disappointments. There's so many disappointments in the American League that I really didn't know where to start. So I had to go with my number one disappointment because I actually chose them to win the division over the Astros. What in the hell do I know? No wonder I only have one World Series ring. I don't know shit about shit. That's an expression we used to use with, <laughs> we did, I'm sorry. But when we get letters sometimes from fans or some, whether sometimes the owner, sometimes the VP of player personnel, sometimes someone in marketing, sometimes just a random person on the street. They always tell you something you had to do, make this trade or make that trade or sign this guy or trade for that guy. And we'd always say, man, that person doesn't know shit about shit. Well, I'm in that category when it comes to this prediction. I had the Seattle Mariners winning the AL West, even with the 22nd highest payroll. The Seattle Mariners have a small problem. The problem is that while they have the rookie of the year in Julio Rodriguez, although we learned from Chris Coglin that if you have a good August, September, you can win rookie of the year. But in theory, if he continues this, he is having an unbelievable season. They're just never going to catch the Astros. And they're never going to catch the Blue Jays. They're never going to catch the Rays. They're never going to catch the Red Sox. That means they're going to go another year without making the playoffs. But luckily, their manager and general manager have contractual length. So everything's going to be fine. Don't you worry in Seattle. You'll be there the next time the sun shines. But they are a disappointment. We had touched on the Chicago White Sox earlier. I used to think uh, earlier in the season that I could say it's the injuries and they're going to start winning. The Chicago White Sox remind me this year, the 22 White Sox remind me of the 2005 Marlins, a team that is built to win now. They're ready to win now, and they're not playing well, and they're losing now. But you always say they're about to start winning now because they should be winning now. And the players say, don't worry, we're going to start winning now. And then time passes, and they didn't win now. And then they say it may be later, and then later comes, and they say, well, I guess it didn't happen. And then you trade everyone and start over and hire a new manager and then fire him after he wins manager of the year. The White Sox have to fire Tony La Russa if they have any chance. They're not going to win the Central, which is staggering to say. They were the odds-on favorite. If we go back and look at preseason predictions, how many people chose the White Sox to win their division? Just out of curiosity. AL Central. I'm going to guess if we did the math and we take a random sample of 100 prognosticators because there's so many, like you could go to The Athletic or ESPN or CBS. And my guess is that that's what it would be. Okay. What else? What else? What else? What else? What else? What else? Oh, no, I don't. Oh, hold on. <laughs> stop. All right, everybody stop. Coca, stop yelling at me. Stop yelling at me. Okay. Let me explain to you what just happened because it's sort of funny. Um, you're going to get way deep in the weeds of how I prepare for this show. There's certain topics that I'm going to talk about that I know exactly where my head is. And there's certain topics where I sort of don't have an exact clarity of my position, so I have to give it more thought.
And then I put it down in a document, then I send it to Coca, then we talk about it, then we meet, then we sleep, then we meet, then he makes comments, then I make comments, and then we get to a final draft of a document, which doesn't have, it's not a teleprompter, it doesn't have words on it, it just has topics. And then I talk for 45 minutes. And every once in a while, when I am doing that, I absolutely get it wrong. And I get it wrong because in my head, I had an entire plan of what I think I'm gonna say, and then the show starts and I say something different and then Coca starts yelling. So, spoiler alert, the White Sox are gonna win the Central. <laughs> oh my God. I need a vacation. I want to live in a Madica. I want to live in a Madica. I'm not sure anybody's singing that these days. <sighs> Top disappointments of pre-ASB are the Chicago White Sox. Post-ASB, they're going to catch the Twinkies and the Guardians, and they're going to win. Spoiler alert, they're going to win the AL Central. Not the Mariners. <laughs> That's the AL West. I'm sorry, Matt. I really am. So you can do that however you want to do it. We can just go back to starting with the White Sox thing over again, or we can just, you can splice it and dice it, and you can just say, yeah, the White Sox are seventh in payroll, and they've been disappointing. They have their injuries. They have to fire Tony La Russa. But even if they don't, they're going to catch the Twins because the truth of the matter is they're better. Okay, next disappointment. How can a team with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani be a disappointment? How does that work? How can they not be a disappointment? Have they been a disappointment every year of Mike Trout's career? Mike Trout and Shohei Otani could very well be two of the top four in the MVP race. My guess is that's what they'll be. And they are not going to make the playoffs again. The Angels go into the ASB not at 500. That's a very major prediction I'm making, Coca, as we head into this Africa trip. But I can just tell you this. If the Angels are 500 at the All-Star break, all bets are off. But they're not going to be. They tried firing Joe Madden. You try that, right? You hope it's going to work. Did not work. I think what happens next is Moreno's going to have to fire Moreno. Angels, disappointment. All right, my next disappointment was my team to watch. CBS HQ had me do a preview show back in March, I think. And I said the team to watch that I think is going to outperform is going to be the Tigers. And I shouldn't have said it because I'm not a big bias guy, as you know. I think the Tigers overpaid. Rodriguez, for me, while he did have an interesting year last year with the Sox, I did not think that he was worth the money he got, but he was still a serviceable pitcher. And I really thought A.J. Hinch was able to continue this team's growth. Uh, no, not at all. I should go back to what I said prior to the start of this season. I said Miguel Cabrera, the baseball love of my life, is paid too much money for the Tigers to ever win with him, unfortunately. Meanwhile, Cabrera is having a fine season, not a Cabrera season, but fine for given the fact he's 50, but fine. But the Tigers have just been a disaster. I'm trying to see the math on their record. I believe that they are in line to lose a hundo. That's a step backwards. Okay, how about the top American League storylines post-ASB? One. Everyone's going to do a calculation with Aaron Judge and the New York Yankees every game. 
and I love these, right? If Aaron Judge continues at his pace, he'll have 62 home runs, 114 extra base hits, 200 hits, a slugging of 877, et cetera, et cetera, because they say if you've played 80 games, you multiply it by two, that's what they'll do in 160 games, which of course is total horse hockey. You cannot do that. Those are the people who hit three home runs on game one of the season. He's on pace for 460 home runs. Wait, 163, 20, 486 home runs. That'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? That would set the record, I would think. So the Yankees are going for the record. They're trying to surpass the 116 win threshold. That's a juggernaut. When you win 116 games, that means you've only lost 46 times. My general rule is you're going to win 60, you're going to lose 60, and it's the other 42 that matter. That's sort of how you do the baseball season. So that's how I would explain the first 60 losses. It's saying, don't worry, we have to lose 60. That's two months of your life, by the way, where there's a loss at the end of the day. But to win 116 games is unheard of, but the Yankees keep finding a way. They need their rotation to stay healthy. They've gone through their five, has just taken the ball every five days. So that's gone very well for them. I just don't know how they're going to get the record, but they are certainly going for the record. Cut that out, Coca. Cut that out. Second storyline. What will the Angels do? There is pressure for Major League Baseball. This doesn't get talked about a lot. When baseball is negotiating its TV deals, one of the things, and they've got these TV deals already done, but the fact is they've made certain promises. The promises are based on numbers. They're based on number of games. So there's make goods when there aren't enough games. And when they're, it's not necessarily a ratings issue, but it's a sell-through issue. It's a dollar issue. It is critical for the New York teams and the LA teams to be successful. And there was a point pre-ASB when you had the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, and the Angels all in first place. And it was mana from heaven for all of the broadcast networks. Well, here you go. You've got The Mets still hanging on by a thread over the Braves. You've got the Yankees running away with it. You've got the Dodgers who are in a dogfight with the Padres, but in theory, they're going to prevail. And the Angels have not held up their part of the bargain, not even close. They are actually closer to last place than they are to first place. It is going to be fascinating to see what MLB and how they get involved because they have a little side deal with the Angels. And the side deal is related to Otani. Otani, when he signed, there was a letter sent by Rob Manfred that you may not sign him to a second contract. He got a little bit of money as an international sign. That was back when the Yankees made trades to get more international slot money, and they would try to use that money to sign Otani, but everyone was in the same range, so Otani had an opportunity to choose where he wanted to go. And Otani chose the Angels. And the thought of all of us in baseball is that the Angels offered him a free agent deal on top of his original initial deal that was not allowed, but we would find out in a big number of years. Well, guess what? The time is now. Otani's done. He's entering into free agency. He's got one more year of arbitration and then free agency. This is the time. Because if you're not going to be able to sign him and you're not willing to give him $40, $45 million, you got to think about trading him. 
and MLB does not want him traded, just like they wanted Trout staying in LA too. They can't believe it within the walls of 1271 6th Avenue that the Angels continue to be this bad. They tried to see if they could get a GM in there to be helpful. They thought Joe Madden would help make the difference. Nothing has made the difference. That's a storyline that we're going to be following because they've got to fix the Angels. They don't much care. This is sad but true. I'm sorry, Cleveland. I'm sorry, Kansas City. I'm sorry, Miami. They do not care how those teams do. Baseball just doesn't. They do care about the Angels. And the other storyline I'm going to watch is if my prediction is accurate and the Chicago White Sox do come back and win the AL Central. The storyline we're going to watch is the process of them doing that, whether it's because the Twins and the Guardians falter and the White Sox just start playing better, whether or not Tony La Russa has anything to do with it or nothing to do with it, because sometimes you win in spite of your manager and Jerry Reinsdorf and Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn over there in Chicago, they certainly know really what's happening, even though they don't talk about it publicly. They know the issues in the clubhouse. They know the problems they're having with La Russa. The question is, when will they admit it? Because if they don't win, and my prediction's wrong, and my initial prediction was right, that they won't win with Larusa, and they don't, there's going to have to be a managerial change, which Reinsdorf doesn't want to do. If they do win, they have to decide whether or not they won despite Tony Larusa and still make a managerial change to try to build on that winning, because even winning the AL Central, the odds are they're going to lose in the first round of the playoffs. So that's the storyline I'm going to watch. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. What about from a player standpoint? Well, for me, the MVP and Cy Young races are pretty interesting. The rookie of the year is a gimme, Julio Rodriguez. I mean, I'm going to say it's a gimme. I'm giving Aaron Judge the MVP, and the reason I am not just MVP of the first half, but I'm, A, I'm saying he's the MVP of the first half over Otani and over Ramirez. But I'm going to say he's going to be the MVP for the year because I think he's going to maintain his pace. I don't know that he will have as good a post-ASB as pre-ASB. But if the Yankees run away with the East, which they will, it's going to be really hard not to give the MVP to Judge just because he's so spectacularly above the other players, both physically spiritually, metaphysically, in the metaverse. Wouldn't you want to be Aaron Judge? So I have him as my MVP. What about Cy Young? People are thinking that it's going to go to the Tampa Bay Ray. They should, right? The Rays have a pitcher, McClanahan. Shane McClanahan is hard to hit. The Rays have more pitchers who you've never heard of, not just in their bullpen, but openers in their rotation, guys who can go six innings. McClanahan's had an unbelievable year. But the Rays, to me, have underperformed. I expected the Rays to actually win that division, I think was my preseason prediction. But there's a pitcher 
who I did not think was coming back at all. He is 69 years old and he is coming off Tommy John surgery and his name is Justin Verlander. Are you paying attention to the pre-ASB run that Verlander has had? If he continues that over 30 plus starts, you've got to give him the Cy Young. You simply have to. We're witnessing something that I've never seen in my career. A pitcher of that age performing at that level without steroids, it would be devastating to find him if he got banged for PSDs, PEDs, PFTs, NFLs, NFTs. If Justin Verlander has a second half like the first half or a post-ASB like pre-ASB, he'll win the Cy Young. I promise you that. All right, what about the division winners? Will anything be different? Nope, Yankees, Astros, I've got the Central different. I've got the White Sox winning. All right, what about the wild card? AL East will have four playoff teams. Yes, they will. Rays, Red Sox, Jays. Don't forget how the wild card works. The division winner, the third divi- the top two division winners, which will be the Yankees and the Astros, get a bye in the first round, which is incredibly advantageous. Then the worst division winner plays the worst wild card team. Can you imagine? The White Sox would have to play the fourth place team in the AL East and lose to the fourth place team in a playoff series. Oi. AL pennant. Sorry, folks. I think the Astros beat the Yankees in seven. There's just something about those Astros. When you watch them and when when you're watching them from within the game, you get so angry because they're so cocky. At least they were under Lunau and, and, and Crane. And you just feel like, God, I can't choose them. But I am. The Astros win the AL pennant. Don't be upset. By the way, you should be happy. If I chose the Yankees, wouldn't you think, oh, God, Samson chose the Yankees. Now what? All right. A couple more things that I want to get to uh, on this show because we have a little bit. We have like 13 minutes left. I want to talk about a few things that are going on within baseball that I just want you to think about during the course of the post-ASB. I want you to think about what Theo Epstein is doing within the four walls of the commissioner's office, what he's trying to accomplish with the pitch clock, what he's trying to accomplish with pace of action, not pace of play, what he's trying to accomplish by potentially banning the shift. There are changes coming to baseball. Rob Manford, a month ago, gave a huge, expansive interview to someone at ESPN and basically said there's going to be a pitch clock in 2023. There could be a shift ban by 24. There could be robo umps or an automatic strike zone by 24. These things are not coulds. They are ours. They are wills. Baseball has gotten to the point where they're so concerned about not being one of the top three major sports and so angry that the top sports get to make changes all the time without ever getting criticized that they are going to forget the traditionalists and they are going to start making the game better. That's why Theo was hired. That's the road he wants to take to be commissioner, though he doesn't say it. And these rule changes, which have been tested in the minor leagues to a great degree of success, the pitch clock works in shortening games. Major League Baseball games are too long. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear you say, no, they're perfect. We love it. Doesn't matter if it goes four hours. That's the greatest thing about the game. There's no clock. The people who pay the money, which are the TV partners, they don't want four-hour games. How many times do I have to say? I can't say it a different way. 
there will be rule changes that will make the game shorter. There will also be rule changes that will make the game more exciting. Many of us enjoy baseball where you can watch and you can watch for six minutes and no balls put in play and you watch pitch by pitch and you say, oh, 30 seconds, not too bad. How often do you look at a game and say, come on? I used to yell, it was my thing. Big John Anderson was our security. John Anderson, you've heard me talk about him. He was security for people from Jordan to Wayne Huizinga and he was the Marlins guy and he would, we'd sit with him all the time. If you go back and look at the 2003 World Series DVD, he's the one sitting with Jeffrey Loria at the game clinching game six in New York, John Anderson. We would yell, let's go, let's go. Because when you go to every game and have to watch every game, you really get an idea of the areas where there's some dead time and it makes you crazy. So there's gonna be changes. One of the changes that you're all asking for, a lot, I get a lot of this, I'd say, Almost 5% of my comments about what I would do to change baseball, people ask about blackouts. Blackouts are when you're in a market and you can't watch a game because you don't have the cable network on which the games are, or you don't have a way to authenticate that you have the cable network. So you get a, a um, uh, what's it called? A warning message, which says, you are in an area where this game is not available. Check your local listings or something like that. Like Pat Summerall would say, after the game, 60 minutes except on the West Coast, check your local listings. That doesn't exist anymore. I don't know why I would say that. What are the local listings? I was just realizing there are no more local listings. It's all like a guide that's the same no matter where you are. If you know that the channel on DirecTV or Hulu doesn't have channels. I cut the cord and I don't know how to get directly to a channel without going to channels and then scrolling up and down. You can go to recents, but if it's a channel you haven't watched recently, then you have to go to the entire guide and it's alphabetical. And I haven't figured out on the remote how to do page up or page down. So I have to go one at a time. So if I'm on T and I want to get to C, I've got to go up like 50 channels through 49 Foxes and 18 ESPNs just to get to a C. It's very funny. So blackouts are going to be eliminated. And here's how you do that. You saw what Major League Soccer did with their digital rights, trying to get them all and they bundled them all together and sold them as one. Rob Manfred has said that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to get all of the digital rights under his purview so he can control everything. And the reason they're doing that, wait for it, they're going to eliminate blackouts. Blackouts are based on TV territories that are actually written into contracts. Like the Marlins have a TV territory that includes Florida, parts of Alabama. It's very strange. They're, they're like Vegas. Is Vegas the place? There's a place out west that's the TV territory for like four teams. So if you don't have the networks, then there's like four teams you can't watch, but it may not be Vegas, but I think it is. I was thinking the four corners. Do you know like on a, on a US map, Coca, the, the four states that all meet in one corner? Horace Mann did a lot of good things for me, a lot. Geography was not one of them. I wanna say Montana and Idaho, but I think Idaho may be too north, Wyoming. Coca, what are the four corners? Can we just tell people so they have it? Anyway, blackouts are going to be eliminated and you will start seeing that slowly happen with different announcements. I was close, I wasn't even close. What are the four corners, Coca, just tell me. Do you have them? Utah is one of, oh crap. Utah, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico. I didn't get one of them. This is how you know that we don't edit. I went over. That makes me despondent. The other thing you're gonna hear 
a big storyline in Major League Baseball, and we talk about it on regular episodes of Nothing Personal, is the relocation situation. It is the expansion situation. The owners need expansion money. They're going to get it here in the next five years, I would say. And the relocation of the A's and the Rays is not going to happen. There will be stadium deals in Oakland and in Tampa. St. Pete is trying to do it. When I say Tampa, it's either St. Pete or Tampa. But there will be deals done. The lawsuit with the limited partners against Stuart Sturmer will get taken care of. All of the Michigas going on with John Fisher and the owner of the A's and all of the Landys buying in Vegas and all of the back and forth, all of that will resolve itself because baseball finds a way. It really is quite staggering. They knew they wanted to move the Expos to Washington way before 2002, right? That was when we got in there. I will always believe this, even though Bud Selig will deny it until the day, God forbid, he passes away. Bud Selig, when we came in, knew that we were not going to be able to make it work. We thought we could. But he had his eyes on either getting us out of baseball or getting that team moved to Washington without us at the helm. But he knew that that was a market that he wanted to relocate to, not expand to, because there was not going to be expansion. And the Expos had just been such a problem since 94, really, since the 94-95 strike. That is the way baseball is currently with the Tampa Bay Rays and the Oakland A's, except the opposite. They know those two teams are staying there. All the stuff that you hear from Rob about how important it is, we got to do this now. Everything's moving quickly. This is ripe. That's a a good word that they all use. The issues have to take care of themselves. The rumors of no relocation fee. There's no relocation fee when you don't relocate. Did we do that on a regular show, Coco, with a wait to see that if the A's do relocate, there will be a fee, but they're not going to relocate, so it's not going to matter? You cannot have a team relocate, take up an expansion market or a competitor to an expansion market and not charge a relocation fee. It's totally impossible. So those things are going to be discussed and you're going to hear more about it. But what baseball does is as you get closer to October, you're going to stop seeing the interviews from Theo, from Rob. You're going to stop seeing discussions about blackouts and about relocation, about stadium deals. One of the things that baseball focuses on is they want to own October. As a matter of fact, that may have been one of their uh, slogans from maybe under Tim Brosnan. So this is probably going back 10 years or so, but it was we own October. That was very important. It remains very important to Major League Baseball. And one of the things they do is in October, you're not allowed to talk about anything else. You don't talk about the problems in your market. You don't talk about managerial changes or firings or hirings without prior permission from the commissioner because they want it all to be focused on the field, trying to drive interest They've got their marketing department putting together great videos that are supposed to get fans excited. They got players filming commercials. All of that happens. So as we get deeper into the post-ASB, you're going to see the focus change away from off-field issues, and it will be all on-field. I'm excited for the second ASB, the post, because October really is cool, isn't it? The way series just sort of unravel. That's the thing about seven game series that football just doesn't do. When it's one and done, the excitement of that, like the March Madness is pretty amazing. Not Legends Are Born, Coca. That's 2011. I, th- I, I think it was literally we own October. Or maybe that was just what we said inside owners meetings. Maybe it was, maybe it was aspirational. We want to own October. Wouldn't it be great if we did own October? Try that as a marketing slogan. Wouldn't it be nice, Nick Kershaw, if we owned October? So get excited, get ready. Training camp starts soon.
Hey, we'll be back again. We'll talk National League when we are. It's just business. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.